UX Podcast Episode 128. Hello, team. This is your podcast hosted by me, James Roy Lawson. And me, Pat Axbo. And we're balancing business technology and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. How are your foothooks, old man? At their furthest reach, dear boy. Good. Today, we are going to take a look at some of the responses um, from our listener survey that we've done um, quite recently. Uh, we normally, I think during the last three years from 2014 to mm-hmm. 2016 we've run a survey um, early spring so march april time yeah um to get feedback from you the listener um about how we're doing to help us keep on the right path and improve mm. and it has been extremely valuable and we haven't mentioned it a lot i think on the show apart from encouraging everyone to yeah fill in the survey but this is a perfect chance now for us to Shared some of the results. And we're not going to go through the whole survey because... Oh, no. No, a lot of that's interesting for us, but no one else. But um, we're going to focus on one particular question. What is the biggest occupational challenge facing you right now? Mm-hmm. Why do now, we ask that question? <laughs> why do we ask that yeah. question? Well, the answers to that question um, in, in the previous surveys and, and this one, um, it's helped us have an understanding about mm. what's really going on in, in the listeners, or you, the listeners' world. Mm. Um, and it also gives us something to, to, to use and to look at when we're deciding what topics to cover or, or kind of a checkpoint. When we, when we have an idea for a, for a topic of a show or a, a guest or something, then we can, we can think, oh, yeah, no, we had, we had a response that talked about that yeah. in the listener survey. So we kind of use it as a, as a way of getting ideas for shows um, and building up some understanding and maybe in a bit of empathy. A bit of empathy and, and to actually ourselves not feel like we're the only ones, uh, as I hope some of you will feel that you're not the only one out there with t- these types of problems, with these types of challenges. Yeah. We, um, we probably have around about 100 responses um, to play with with this question. Um, but like all of our survey questions, they're not compulsory. So we don't, we don't have answers. So not everyone has answered yeah. the, the question. Um, and some of them are long and insightful. Some of them are very brief. And, and some of them are just plain funny. Um, yeah. Uh, there like, was one just answered with two letters, I think. Yep. Yeah. I-E. Yeah. And that's so funny because that's one of my challenges right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you felt just that one, it's like two letters. Mm. It's kind of, there was a whole story embedded mm. in just two letters. It's like it, was a, it was a developer that yeah. I think um, posted that f- answer. For anyone who doesn't get it, IE is Internet Explorer. And yeah. uh, through the years, it has cost so much mm. money just to uh, just do stuff to make stuff work in an Internet mm. Explorer. Uh, and it still costs a hell of a lot of money. It does. I like, another thing I liked about just that answer being IE, there wasn't even a version number. Yeah, was, you could just no, feel exactly. the, you just feel the pain. Mm. It was like, and I'm not going to say mm. IE six. Mm. I'm not going to say you know IE seven. Mm. I'm just going to put IE. Yeah, I, I just actually came from a meeting where someone brought up IE ten and said it's not working. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> our our listeners, they are mainly what um, you would call UX professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have um, product managers, 
we have a fair few developers uh, and even, well, communication managers, I guess, um, looking at the titles of people that have responded. Yep. Now, about half of the listeners to this show, half of you, are in the US. Then we have a, a good big chunk of people in the UK and then a big chunk of people in Sweden. Mm. After that, there's a kind of another league of, of, of countries, um, which we'll have quite a lot. Um, and that's, for example, Australia, Germany, Canada. Okay, cool. Um, just to give people a little bit of an idea of where these responses are coming from. I like this because you're the statistics guys, and, <laughs> when we, and we don't always talk about this. So no. I w- if someone asked me, I wouldn't actually answer, been able to answer the way you did now. But I think <laughs> it's, it's important to point this out because um, even though we've got, uh, we've got listeners in like India, for example, and, and Brazil, and um, roughly the same amount in both those countries, mm. um, and New Zealand, um, we don't have very many at all in China. We yeah. don't have very many at all in, in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of European countries where we have very few. In fact, we've got more in China than some of the European countries, which at times mm. feels odd as a European podcast that there are so few. I think yeah. an example would be Portugal. I think there's, there's, there's more. I think we have more um, listeners in China than yeah. in Portugal. That actually made me think about uh, about Portugal when you said that, because when we first went to UXLX back in the day when we started the podcast, we talked to some Portuguese people, and UX really wasn't a big thing back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no buy-in from managers. There was nobody understood what, what the purpose of it. It was just essentially interaction design and interaction design by requiring a specification. So you weren't even allowed to be creative. Mm. You just had to do, draw something on paper because somebody had written what you were supposed to draw. Yeah. Mm. Before, we, before we go into to details of, of the results or some of the answers we got, mm. um, why, why did we decide to do this show? Because it's always great fun. But it's no, all- no, I, mean, I don't mean generally why do we do the podcast. But- <laughs> But th- I think this is a way for us to connect more with our, our listeners, actually, to get them to understand that we understand them. Mm. Uh, these, this is the stuff. I mean, there's some great quotes in here. There's, this is stuff that people are upset with for, on a day-to-day basis. And I think everyone listening will recognize some, if not all, of these that we're going to bring up. Yeah. I think definitely the, the, um, that this, for me anyway, is seen as a way of, of, of sharing. Um, but also um, letting people know that it's probably not just their, them and their organization mm. that, that um, is, is suffering. Yeah, and, and to also realize the green is not always, uh, the grass is not always greener. The green is not always grassier. <laughs> it's not always grassier either, actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, especially the greens in Saudi Arabia, which are brown. <laughs> Talking golf here. Ah, <laughs> oh, you see, you see if, you'd, if you'd have made a cricket analogy, yeah. I'd have been... No problem at all. But you made a golf one, and that's mm. not really my area. Now, um, one, of, one of the things I did um, as preparation for this show and to try, to try to kind of understand, get a feeling for, for the overall response, I'm trying to tweak out, was there kind of a big pattern, a big picture mm-hmm. from my responses? Um, I took all of the text from all the responses. I took, I took away some kind of um, grammatically necessary words. The, um, and, yeah. and. Yeah, those kind of ones that were, were too frequent um, would make it all look a bit rubbish. Mm. Um, and I even took away the word UX, okay. the, the, the letters UX, mm. um, which was the most used word in the responses. Mm. But I kind of, you know, that's, that's kind of obvious, and that doesn't really give us any insight. I mm. mean, I'm kind of expecting UX mm. is going to be mentioned a lot. Um, but the... Um, the, the 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 word um, uh, the word cloud itself had quite an interesting result. I thought 
that the, the, the biggest word, or the biggest words, were business and work. Right. Um, this was then followed uh, by things like um, design, company, time, building, mm. clients, product, rights, research, and organization. Mm. Those were pretty much all the ones that were, that were quite big. Mm. Um, after that, it starts to get, you know, they get mm. smaller and many. Um, but it's but, nice that business is the biggest word. I like that. Actually. Well, bus- yeah. business related. I mean, mm. we have we have work, mm. um, building, uh, product. Mm. This you know, there's, there's a, a lot of that kind of feel mm. to the to the responses. Um, so my conclusion then would be that business is a th- challenge. <laughs> yeah, given that given how we framed this, yeah. that is what are your occupational challenges yeah. right now? Um, then then yeah, you, it's. Um, <laughs> This, the the word user, for example, um, is not there. I mean, okay, I filtered out UX, but I didn't filter out user. No, exactly, yeah. So, so the, you, know, the, you can maybe say that the mm. the problem doesn't look like, or the problems don't look like they're on the, the, the user side. No. They're actually on the business side. Right, because we know what to do. Most UXers know what their job is. Mm. But as we've seen in the responses, the hard work is actually convincing other people within the organization what their job is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. people who listen to this podcast yeah. have a clear idea of what they think mm. um, UX is and what it means to them, I reckon. Um, so, so yeah. Um, but that was, my, that was my bit of research at the beginning to try and see, you know, what's the big picture here? Yeah. Um, well, then you, then you did um, something else with the, the responses. Yeah, I went through all the responses, actually, uh, from all uh, three, was it three or four years we did. Three years with this Three question. years we've done this. And, and try to categorize them. I did some information architecture hmm. and try to categorize these into broad general areas that were, were common for a for, uh, big number of, of responses. And the ones I ended up with were uh, maturity. We're talking about organizational maturity here. Uh, and, and this is, this is maturity on the a, on a, on a UX scale. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and organization uh, with relation to processes, uh, how, how organizations actually work internally. Then there's the learning and time management uh, category, where which has to do with people not finding the time to uh, educate themselves more about what they need to know. All right, yeah. And then there's the tools section, uh, where people the get into yeah. yeah, get into th- thinking about prototyping tools like Azure or. I actually put the IE response in there right, because yeah. that's really something you so this do is, work this with. This is practical things. Yeah, very practical mm-hmm. things. Yeah. And then there's the communication individual. This has to do with how you uh, talk to people uh, within uh, or outside your organization about UX. Then there's the career change uh, category where it turns out, and it doesn't surprise me at all that a lot of people who respond actually aren't in UX yet. They're studying or they, they are in some related mm-hmm. field yeah. and want to get more into UX. Yeah. And then there's just in others <laughs> where I put the... Yeah, yeah, yeah I saw them and they're... Yeah. they're yeah. Yeah. They were some of them are funny, mm. um, but they're not categorizable in the same way as some of the others. Mm. So, well, if we if we take a little bit, we talk a little bit now about the the maturity aspect. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, I I think um, it's fair to say when well, we listeners regular regular listeners will know that we we started off this show um, five years ago as a as a kind of reaction to to how silo. Um, Driven. I mean, it's a bit more organisational than maturity, but yeah. I'm thinking about the time scale here now. That mm. uh, back then it was very much silos with a with a the focus five years ago. 
And right. I kind of think we've moved off a little bit from silos. A little bit. A little bit. Or at least it's it's not it's not the overwhelmingly mm. in single occupational mm. challenge now. Mm. And I think the maturing aspect for mon- for many people in UX has caused other organizational challenges to, to, to rear their head mm. um, instead of the silo-based side yeah. of things. Yeah, there is a big overlap, of course, between the maturity and organization categories that I, that I put on paper because they both were so big. So th- this is the big chunk mm. of responses are within these areas. Yeah. Um, and as it happens, a lot of a lot of the comments are about uh, companies not understanding what UX is about. Uh, there's no time for doing user research. Uh, there's no time for meeting meeting end users at all. Uh, and but what surprised me the most it doesn't surprise me, but it's interesting to see that some of the responses are are pointing to that the fact that you want to get UX there. I'm going to read one out here: getting UX recognized as key to survival in our business. Oh, it's key to survival. And some of these are, are quite harsh in how they mm. actually, thinking of silos again, they're quite harsh in how they describe other people not understanding them. But I'm then wondering, how much effort and time are they putting into understanding the others? Yeah, because if you're trying to communicate mm. something to other people and the people don't just get it, mm. at what point does that become something that you have to adjust as the person trying to communicate Mm-hmm. Whereas the people who are trying to listen to you just don't get you. You're right. It's, it's mm-hmm. still still silos, mm-hmm. but never angle on it. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To t- wait, here's one here. Um, to take user experience to the business level and make the CEO and CFO understand how they can make money implementing mm-hmm. UX as a business strategy. Mm-hmm. And sure, is, uh, sure, it, yeah. I, I buy that. But you want to do that. But why they're they're treating UX as something separate? And I I want mm-hmm. UX to be more integrated. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think a lot of these responses are are really putting a placing an emphasis on UX being being more important than it is. Mm. Because that's uh, a fallacy, I think, that we we propose that UX is the most important thing that's going to bring the business a lot more money, that's going to keep the business staying alive. Uh, people are actually saying that in here. And the CEO doesn't get it. Well, perhaps the CEO and the other board members don't get it because it's not true, mm. because there are so many other factors that contribute to the su- success of a company. Mm. Uh, and you have to do your best but that does not mean that UX is the be-all and end-all that will uh, make the business survive. I think here as well we're, we're, we're talking about, um, well, with, ma- with this maturity aspect and, and, and the silos, we're talking about the larger organizations. Mm. Yes, we are. Which is a particular group of, mm. of UX professionals. Mm. Um, and um, uh, and, and by, by all means, not most UX professionals. Um, there's a hell of a lot of people out mm. there that work for much smaller organisations mm. that, that have a different kind of um, challenge with, with, well, not silos in the same way, but um, definitely communicating um, to, to owners mm. or managers that this is, this needs to be um, done. Mm. Some aspects, some one of the challenges here in, log, in large organisations is, is whereabouts your UX team sits in the organisation. Oh, definitely. Because if you're if you're like pinned on to mm. say marketing, mm. you're going to have a certain kind of silo fight um, about customer experience or mm. or kind of you know uh, importance of various um, customer facing mm. activities, the ownership of them. Mm. Um, if you're pinned on to, to IT, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe then you're having more fights about agile or something, or, or, or something you know process or something. Or it could be the case that you can actually do things under the table because you yeah. have a good connection with the developers who actually yeah. do the stuff. So 
It can go both ways, but it also depends on the manager of that team. Mm. Uh, how much mandate do they have to do or ha- have to actually do what they want to do? Mm. But I'm, I'm going to read another quote. Uh, Having the business focus on UX instead of just business objectives. Uh, and Ooh, here again... That's interesting, that one, yeah. Yeah, here again I'm going to say, why do we as UXers focus so much on the word UX? It's not UX instead of business objectives. It's making UX part of the business objectives. Mm. And I realized that we're using, the, I mean, you said yourself, the word UX is the most used in all these responses. Mm-hmm. And it is what we talk about, and it's, it obviously is the name of the podcast. Yeah. But just talking about the word UX is a problem in itself. It's exactly. not helping. Yeah. And one of the, mm-hmm. one of the other responses here was, um, was, was talking mm-hmm. about getting the business to understand uh, the importance of UX. But the, the, the second part of mm-hmm. the response was, UX is quite a hard concept to sell or even to explain. Mm-hmm to senior management mm. was the very end of that but yeah. I, I, I think you can it leave is. off the end of it and and that that we know and mm. we've, we've we've touched upon this mm. on several episodes um not just the definition of ux mm. but but the whole thing about how how it's a struggle to um to communicate what what it is we do and mm. when we don't help ourselves with a label i mean i i, I um, i'm involved in a project at the moment where um, inside the team, we're talking an awful lot about UX and, and mm. the number of hours of UX that's needed mm. in, a, in a certain sprint or um, what we can do, UX deliverables and so on. Um, but in the in the tender mm. that was signed and accepted um, for one of the agencies that are involved in this, they didn't mention UX at all in the tender. Right. I think they, they wrote um, um, usability expert mm. was how they'd specified um, the resources mm-hmm. that were going to do the UX stuff mm-hmm. in the project. So, so outwards to the people who were going to mm-hmm. sign off, mm-hmm. they were using a term that was more understandable for that type of, of person in that type mm-hmm. of organization. Mm-hmm. Whereas when we actually rolled the sleeves up and started doing mm-hmm. the work, mm-hmm. we fell back to using UX. Exactly. And this is something you have to reflect on much, much more. If all these people are saying all the time, people don't get me, they don't understand what UX is, maybe... You should reflect on that and think about maybe you should stop talking about it. Maybe you should stop talking about UX as the value. Stop, start talking about what you are bringing to the table. What value are you bringing to the company, to the team? Uh, what's the outcome of what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Not UX, the phenomenon itself, because that's, that's your job. Yeah. And you don't, other people don't go around pushing their job on you. And this is, this is why what I do is important. Mm. They do the important stuff. I think we need to, go, like, quoting Don Norman <laughs> again, more about design doing than design thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Start, stop describing the theory so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, but at the same time, if you're trapped in a job title, I mean, you, you, you are called UX mm. designer or UX manager or UX yeah. architect or whatever you, you've, you've, you've got been mm. pinned on you, um, then straight away you're labeled in your organization. Oh, yeah. And there's an expectation of, of kind of, well, what the hell do you do? Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I love the expression on your face. <laughs> what the hell? Do Whenever you, do? you can see, I can just see these poor, <laughs> yeah, yes, poor meetings that go on, and then you've kind of you're, you're there representing your department or whatever, mm. and then you know you've got to not only defend your job title, who you are, what mm. department you're coming from, mm. you know, to build trust from that mm. level, mm. you've then got to get into mm. actual benefits. Um, sure. And I think so. I think mm. many organisations are you're set up. You're set up to have a challenge from the mm. beginning because you're going out there as a UXer mm. and the first thing you're doing is having to, mm. is having to basically say who you are yeah. instead, of, instead of just going straight into what you do. True, but you can also show who you are. Uh, and that's what I'm thinking uh, more and more about how people explain UX because what I'm thinking about now is in your day-to-day work, you're 
teammates, uh, um, the board members, whoever is the other stakeholders you're talking to, they are your target group when you're trying to explain the concept of UX. Mm. Show them. And, and what I tend to do is generally my meetings are greatly appreciated because I do a lot of thinking pre-meeting mm. uh, about what everyone's role is, mm. how long the meeting's going to be. I have breaks. I have uh, cookies. I have something to drink on the table. Mm. Uh, and n almost nobody else does that. Mm -hmm. And so they realize, and they can connect to that. Mm. Okay, he thinks about UX. He thinks about the whole experience because yeah. he thinks about meetings this way. Yeah. And that's a better way for them to learn about mm. what I do. Very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you're, you're embedding embedding the whole essence of what you're thinking about yeah. in, in how you practice mm. your... Um, because if you come across as a person... Uh, uh, well, actually, that was a quote. That was a really interesting as well. Uh, under communication. Uh, communication for sure, he says. Explaining my design decisions in ways that aren't dictatory or I know sounding. And this is something I hear a lot about UXers, that they can sound a bit diva-ish. That I know this is best for the user. We need to know do what's oh, yeah. best for the yeah. users. Uh, how do I give constructive feedback without resorting uh, to just ask a question or thing that everyone seems to do, which like, but this is this text supposed to be right aligned? But you really just want to say, please align this to the left. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently this person really wants to be in control, but without listening really to others. Well, this, and this, doesn't want to come across as someone who doesn't listen. But you have to come across as someone who listens because that's the person you have to be mm. in all all situations in your work, but the same, the same, the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is a very, very common situation, and we know this from talking to um, talking talking to um, um, sorry, stumbling over the words and designing, uh, articulating design decisions. Yeah, uh, with Tom Griever that we talked mm. uh, to a few episodes ago, um, that we know how challenging mm. this is for for a lot of people, mm. and um, um, you, you know, we do know a lot mm. about. Um, design, and we know mm. a lot about what we've designed because mm. you've you've got a whole load of baggage. I mean, mm. you've you've spent hours mm. preparing for the thing that you're now presenting at that meeting, right. that demo, mm. um, whatever it is, mm. and and it takes just seconds. You've got kind of mm. seconds or minutes to to explain it, mm. but you've had hours of research and hours of of discussions that have gone into producing it. Mm. So so of, of of course it's it's very sim it's very easy to fall into the kind of diva role. Um, because it can be very frustrating that you, you, you kind of get knocked back with a smart answer by someone uh, maybe you were expecting it or it was a you know, different yeah, rank position or whatever in the organization. That. You need to never judge that type of response, I mm. think. Uh, and that's something you have to work on. Yeah. And, I, and I loved what you said right now, but there's so many hours gone into this. That has to come across as well. You need to explain always when you're presenting user research or whatever you're doing, present who you've talked to uh, what you've done, uh, how much thinking has gone into it, and what conclusions you've come to that are safe to assume, and which ones that maybe you're guessing, but you would like to validate more. And uh, be open, and don't come across as I know everything, because you never know everything. Mm. You, I have this data point, but I could learn something along the way that completely disproves that. Mm. And you have to be that humble all the mm. time. Yeah. But if you keep just doing good work and coming across as someone who listens to people, then people will allow mm. you to listen to them. I think. Uh, yeah, I think though the by having, if you can if you can collect on your way, um, design proof or I suppose you know the 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 things that back up what you're saying mm -hmm. and thinking, um, whether it's data, uh, user research or mm -hmm. data points and so mm -hmm. on, then I think that makes your your job a little bit easier when you're in those situations that you can fall back and say, 
Well, well, yes, you know, we, we've we've come to that conclusion mm. um, largely based on, and then you can share but, some facts. But is that because you can always get questioned? Well, how confident are you in that data? Yeah, and then you'll you'll have to be honest about how confident you are, and you're not always that confident. Well, or you, or again, mm. you 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 want to get off, get sign off on this, so you can go out and test it, right? Um, and I try and be mm. I try and be more mm. and more open now about the fact that it, we're always guessing. Exactly, everything mm. we do is mm. a guess mm. um, until we got it mm. out there. And then we're just improving our guesses. Mm-hmm. But there's no answer. Mm-hmm. There's never any 100% correct exactly. answer. It's just a hypothesis. Yeah, and then another, we're always another guessing. Hypothesis. We're just yeah. guessing with different, some, different mm-hmm. amounts of information and research behind us. Mm-hmm. So, so um, you know, I'd, I'd face this challenge with communication um, with um, trying to be more open mm-hmm. about the fact we're guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're trying to guess really smartly. Yes, and, and with, with, like you said... Hours and hours of research, hours yeah. and hours of talking to people and researching, mm. and that's really important. Mm. Uh, but then you have the challenge, of course, and people are saying, we don't get the time to do research. We don't get to meet uh, Ooh, yeah. the, the, the users. Uh, what I'm thinking then is, do it anyway. That's always my response to that when I get it at talks. I know that's hard and tough. Oh, that's a tough yeah. response. Very, very tough answer you, you're giving yeah. to these people. Then they're yeah, saying they're like... Oh, meetings and deadlines mm-hmm. and it's taking up all your time and you know you've mm-hmm. got you've got 40 hours a week mm-hmm. and and you're on your knees because yeah, that's what people are saying here there's not enough time to accomplish what must be done uh yeah. we know what to do but so let's find the time and resources um so this this time issue seems to be a problem as well not enough time to educate educate myself with new tools and ideas but uh, my my feeling, I, and I know I'm, I'm in a position where it's easier for me to say this, but if you're doing UX, you have to do UX. You have to do research, otherwise you're not doing UX. Uh, so if you have to, uh, you have a solution that you have to uh, deliver at some point in the future, mm. then you have to time box that because you have to, you have the amount of time and resources that are available to you, but you have to plan. You have to start planning more. You're not going to say that. Okay, so can we book in a week's user testing? No, you cannot. Okay, so I'm going to go out for four hours and talk to users uh, one morning because that's going to give me data. And then you use that in your presentations. This is what users... Because if you're doing user research, you're learning stuff, and it's really interesting, and you're always learning something that surprises you. And quotes from real users or even sound bites during presentations, if you can use that, are so effective. And that's what I want people to do. Instead of saying, I'm not getting time to do user research, do it. I'm, I'm always thinking about guerrilla research back the yeah. Russ Unger's uh, workshop that we went to in New York Select back back in the day. Mm. I think the the, the learning or the section that you had mm. the, the responses that were learning and time management. I mean, yeah. the, some of them are, are, are definitely here. You can feel the smaller scale organisations mm. coming through in the results, We're moving away a little bit now from the, yes. the big organisations. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, one of the responses here was, "I'm not a unicorn." Mm. Um, and, and that again is one of those mm. short, succinct ones that mm. gives you a whole story, mm. the whole situation where you're expected to do everything. Everything, yeah. And, and the man I work with um, large clients mm. that are multi, multinationals, and I work with mm. with small clients that are kind of locally based. Mm. Um, I like I like that variation. It's one mm. of the thing that makes it really good fun doing what I do. Mm. Um, but when I go to when I when I help clients that are maybe just three or four people, mm. um, there you're you're not just doing interaction design or user research mm. there you're being a you're being a friend of the business yeah you're 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 sitting down with them and they're listening to to how their business is working you're understanding not just how the users are working but 
is it how the whole business works mm. and and educating them and enlightening them on maybe how they can approach their business mm. differently because some of the simple mm. some of the, the the ux or the more digital things that you maybe suggest they're not really always practical because that's not the top of the list of things that need to be fixed True. from a from a holistic view yeah um so i think feeling confident I said one of the ones here as well was feeling confident about doing UX work without a mentor or a nearby UX group. Again, mm. this whole feeling yeah. of being alone or being a, yeah. a team of mm. a UX team of one. Mm. As, exactly. um, was it Leah Buley? Yeah, Bewley, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, wrote a book about mm. um, a few years ago, which is which is a good. There's a, a great. Read. Her talk is online. You can just search for Google Team of One. Yeah, or in the UX Team of One. Because mm. yeah. it's a it's a very very challenging mm. situation to be in when yeah. you're by yourself. Um, and um, and then there is things like you know blog posts and this podcast mm. and so on that kind of help you feel like you're mm-hmm. not alone. Yep. Um, but um, but you can still be alone in a larger organization. Mm. Um, and, and I'm I'm going to go back and say now one way to feel more confident is to talk to users mm-hmm. because then you know stuff that other people don't mm-hmm. and that gives you a lot of confidence. It's oh, got a big confidence boost. Yeah. Uh, because it's so amazing to hear stuff mm-hmm. about about your product or service mm-hmm. that you had no idea about that people were doing with it. Yeah. Uh, and once you know that, you know something that no one else knows, and knowledge is power, and the more knowledge you have, the more power you have. Yeah. And that is something that works mm-hmm. no matter how big or small your organization yeah. is. Um, you know, business business mm-hmm. managers are equally amazed mm-hmm. when you show them a screen recording, um, whether their company is you know, uh, just run by them mm. or whether it's kind of, you know, five, mm. 50,000 um, globally. Exactly. They're, they're still just as fascinated and, and um, it's just a bigger eye-opening mm. moment. For and, w- and with the unicorn there, I mean, I'm, I've been in that position so many times. There, There's so many developers and there's so many back-end developers and, and front-end, but there's one UXer mm. in many of, the, mm. many of the teams I've worked. And you have to just be upfront. Okay, so what goes into UX work? This goes into UX work. And these are the number of hours we should be we should really be putting into this. We don't have that time, so I'm going to put in these hours. So it's not going to be perfect from the way I'd want to work, mm-hmm. but this is the time I have at hand. Is that acceptable to you? And get sign off on that. Mm-hmm. You always be upfront, and that's, I always come back to that. I mean, you need to treat the people around you as your users. They're your target group. You have to communicate. I mean, that's what you do best. You're a UXer. You, you need to understand them as your target group and talk to them, learn how to talk to them. Thinking now about mm. Whitney again. Yeah. Um, and uh, very much what she said when we talked to her um, last year um, about the understanding, you know, the empathy for the mm. people in your team. And, yeah. and, and she had some very good stories mm. in that episode about, about mm. listening, getting, getting people in their meetings to mm. tell stories about mm. who they were and learning a little bit about who they were as a person. Exactly. So you could better understand them and better um, work with them, mm. collaborate with them. I love yeah. that. Yeah, it's it's so true with the team I'm in now. It's the more we've learned about each other's private lives and the, the challenge they have with their kids or whatever, uh, the more you're willing to work with them and to listen to them because you realize, okay, these these, these are cool people. And they're humans. They're, they're humans. people just yeah. like you. Yeah. Um, so all this silo yeah. stuff, I mean, a lot of it down to just kind mm. of remembering everyone Everyone is just... And again, the more I'm willing to share, the more others are willing to share. So yeah. be the first. Mm. Start off. Looking mm. at the, the career change um, set of um, responses, something we've we've um, we've noticed a lot during the years, actually, that there's a fair lot of fair few people use the podcast as a as as a means of of jumping we see this in our listener phone-ins when yeah. we get people to phone in we've had quite a few calls um 
during the last couple of years when we've run those types of shows from, from people who, who kind of want out yeah. from where they currently are, what they're currently doing. They've, they've understood, they've seen the light, yeah. uh, the UX light, and they want to move to our side. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. so it's not just students, yeah. it's people who have an established career already, mm. but want to switch path, or they've seen a parallel path in mm. UX and want to hop over. Um, and um, sometimes that can be difficult. I mean, uh, I think one of the quotes I can't I can't find it just now. It was the one that was talking about the, um, the, the that that they're they're preaching UX internally, mm. the benefits related to it, um, but they're hitting a wall because they don't have any UX experience themselves because they've been in an organisation yes. that doesn't mm. do UX. Mm. Can they're just preaching? So it's, it's to do with maturity. That's yeah. a very immature organisation that was. So so that that I can see is a, is a real challenge that mm. getting UX experience when your organization doesn't do UX mm. experience. Exactly. Now, there, one thing, I mean, you have both mm. noticed during the years, because we're consultants, mm. we're freelance consultants, so I've been, I get called in regularly to be be the UX, or be the guy who does know. Mm. So so if you're internally, you're working internally and you don't know, you're, you're struggling to, to get buy-in, yeah. then you buy in a consultant mm. to basically be your puppet not puppet completely I mean because we you know we're independent <laughs> thinking but but effectively you know th- then if someone comes in from outside yeah. and is allowed to know something no I know exactly what you mean and yeah. does have the experience right because and a lot of times I come in and I realize that okay so these three people I'm talking to they already know all this stuff mm-hmm. why am I here yeah I'm here because they just needed another people pe- person from the yeah. outside you're Which, the key you're the key yes. that opens the door yes exactly um, and they just want to run through it but then that's important, of course, as well. Then my responsibility is to make them bigger, to make them bigger and get more mandate within the organization. Yeah. My job as a consultant is not to grab on and try to stay with this mm-hmm. company. It's actually to give them more space. Allow perhaps we do research together, mm-hmm. but then they do the presentations, and I encourage them to do uh, uh, all the in- the selling to the clients and stakeholders of what uh, their work is. Yeah. In, in those yeah. situations, you're an enabler. Exactly. You're, you're yeah. not necessarily a doer. Mm-hmm. You're, you're you're not necessarily mm-hmm. there to do you're the work coach. for them. You're, yeah. you're coaching yeah. in those yeah. situations, yeah. and and that's what that's what mm-hmm. people with that occupational challenge, where they're they're struggling to. To make the evolution, evolutionary leap into into life, <laughs> mm. from being simple bacterial cells, um, <laughs> the dawn of mankind, dawn of, of, of evolution, then you know you, you need to bring in external resources maybe sometimes to to do that. Yeah. Um, if you don't have the budget and resources to bring in external people to help you out there, um, get someone from another exo- uh, uh, kind of uh, another organisation to come in and talk. Mm. For example, I have this thing where I do like. A four-hour session with a with, a, a where they put together like seven people mm. that need to know more about UX, and that probably ho- hopefully is something that most most can afford. I'm not trying to sell myself here. It's no. just one way of <laughs> one way of approaching this. Yeah, mm. uh, same. Yeah, um, yeah. Getting your first job in UX, um, still in college, mm. inexperience. That whole thing about I mean, if you aren't even if you're in college, then. Mm. Um, how do you face that challenge of of of, of getting the first job? Then again, for, for me, it's all, UX is is so holistic. It's part of everything. I mean, if you are into UX, you're probably a person who visits a restaurant and you look at the logistics and you think, mm. realize that they should put the bread over there and water over there and the way they walk or the tables they're placed or everything. Mm. And and you've probably been doing some stuff and you're probably maybe you've done your dissertation, but you you're observing stuff. Mm. 
around you all the time. So, so how would you? Mm. So how would you? Mm. Um, what would you advise to do as a next step? Would you say, okay, if you're a student and you're looking for that first work, um, get out and observe. And then what? Write up your observations in a blog post, blog, a medium blogging, post, or, I'm, I'm or a video think, clip. Yeah, that kind e- of thing. Exactly. Mm. Take part in competitions and and do uh, interaction design that way, and offer your services on Fiverr. That I'd probably do that as a student. Oh, good idea. Uh, mm. And get some some stuff in your portfolio. Even if, even though I myself hate the portfolio concept, <laughs> that will come back to I think in another episode <laughs> yeah. about portfolios. But uh, but when you're a student mm, mm, coming out into the world the, the world to get work, then then I think um, um, I can see a real use in, in design or process examples mm. that you, you've, you've gone out and done some observation or research mm. and you've written it up in a way that shows your insight and then maybe even come with some, some hypotheses and suggestions to how mm. it could be improved. Mm. Um, that for me would give me quite a good feeling that you'd, you'd, you're on yeah. the right track of someone that I'd want to employ. Or get a part-time job in sales or customer service because you learn so much just oh, customer being, service being part of that. Learn a huge amount there. <laughs> yeah. um, we're going to have to wrap up to oh, keep yeah. our promise that we got from our Ooh. survey results that we wouldn't let these episodes yes. get too long. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, hopefully just sharing some of these responses mm. now has, has given you some good insight and, mm. and um and that maybe some of the advice we've given might help you too in those occupational challenges. I feel um, more motivated to actually start promoting yourself perhaps in another way uh, and changing the way you communicate with other people in your organization. Yeah, and, and we'll, uh, by all means, ring in to our next user listener phone-in, oh, which yeah. is coming, in, um, coming up in June. I yes, believe. exactly. Yeah. Um, then we can, you can talk about your challenges more there or, or say if you've tried some of the things that we've suggested and how it worked out for you. And on that listener phone-in, uh, which is live, of course, as you said, uh, you can also chat with us uh, yeah. online and look, and while you're listening. So, Also, I want to give a little plug to um, um, the UX Impact Survey. Yes. Which our friend Chris McCann, who you might remember from the, um, from the Tom Griever episode we did a few mm. episodes ago, um, he's running a survey to try and uh, gauge the impact um, that UX is having in organizations within Europe. Mm. Um, so um, it only takes like four or five minutes to fill in the survey, um, and it's going to give some really interesting, useful, useful insights. Um, visit lprs.se um, slash UX survey 16. Excellent. Yeah. I'll have that in the um, link notes as well. Um, which, and all the link notes, all the sh- um, show notes yeah, sure from enough. this, um, what was it, God, that was all wrong, wrong way around. All the links, links from, from the this show, notes. show will be in the show notes. It's not easy, this talk. It's not, is it? Um, and they can be found on uxpodcast.com. Um, I'm Beantin on Twitter, which is B-E-A-N-T-I-N. And I am Axboom on Twitter, A-X-B-O-M. And together we're UX Podcast, which is all one word, and mm-hmm. that's all one word on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else you can possibly imagine. Um, thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. The best way you can say thank you is probably by recommending UX Podcast to a colleague. Yes. It's good to share. Nice. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. <laughs>